you have your Bibles, would you turn them to Exodus chapter 2. The second book in the beginning of your Bibles, Genesis and then Exodus, and we'll be in chapter 2, verse 1. Also, the sermon notes are at novachurch.org or on your Nova Community Church app. You know, for the first 25 years of our lives, we pretty much lived in the same house. But after we got married, we moved four times in about 18 months. And you know, so many of our friends were in that same season of life, trying to find a, an apartment with better rent or maybe a better area or maybe a bigger apartment. And so most Saturdays, in that season of our life, we're spent renting moving trucks, piling boxes of things in our trunks of our car, and moving people across town. It was no different in July of 1990 when we were helping to move Dave and Agni across, across town. And we moved boxes and refrigerators from that second-story apartment down to a rented truck. And I thought in between moving things, I'd call home to check in. So I did. We didn't have cell phones back then. So I dialed in a hard line to check on Janet. And she said, I think I need to go to the hospital. And so I said bye to my friends on that moving crew, and I, I rushed home pulled out my old coach's stopwatch and I said, yep, three minutes apart, let's go. We already had that bag packed in the trunk of the car along with a baby car seat. But for the next 36 hours, we went to the hospital, Torrance Memorial, three times. They kept sending us back home. That first time, boy, I was so excited had my video camera going. It was about this big. <laughs> had her in a wheelchair. I had the nurse take pictures of us, and Janet was smiling, and so was I. It was an exciting time, but they kept us there for about an hour only. And they packed us back up and said, um, why don't you go home and rest? You're going to need rest. That baby's going to be born soon. Get some rest. And I'm thinking, you told us to come at three minutes apart, right? So we went home and rested, came back to the hospital, and they hooked those monitors up, and, and we, they sent us back home again and said, that baby will be born soon, but, but not now. But later, on July 29th, <laughs> In that evening, I heard the screams of healthy, well-developed lungs. And then the doctor said those words. I'm never going to forget them. It's the best, one of the best days of my life. The doctor said, it's a boy. And we cheered and we cried. It was a great day. 
Can you imagine, though, giving birth to a baby? And after the doctor and the nurse do some quick examinations, they look into the parent's eyes with deep concern in solemn sadness they tell the parents I'm so sorry it's a boy can you imagine trying to stifle the cries of a baby boy in ancient Egypt there were no gender reveal parties before no pink cakes or blue cakes no opening beautifully wrapped boxes only to find helium balloons, either blue or pink, float to the sky. None of that. Instead of celebrating, it's a boy, it triggered automatic fear and despair. And this is where our story starts today. In a small brick, mud brick home, the baby is delivered they find out it's a boy, and the whole family's heart sinks. And the cries of the baby have to be muffled, and they do their best to keep that baby quiet for three months. But the neighbors hear, the neighborhood knows. But there's no celebration, and they can't hide him anymore. So let's go inside that home today. Let's use the scriptures and the sights and the sounds of our minds to produce the scenes of all the emotions of the moment. This is where our story starts in the second chapter of the book of Exodus. In a very real way today, maybe this is where your story starts. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go and watch it online. You'll learn about who these people are and how they got there. How did a group of 70 Hebrews over just a short period of time multiply to over a million people? How did this new king forget about a sacred allegiance he had to the Hebrew nation? And why does Pharaoh see a million people within the confines of the greatest empire ever known at that time? How does he see these million people as a huge threat to him? So Pharaoh says, we're going to work these people. We're going to enslave them. We're going to beat them and treat them ruthlessly. And it seems like the more they did that, the more they multiplied the more they prospered. So when the king tells the midwives of that day, the Hebrew midwives, when you help to give birth to babies, if it's a boy, kill them. But if it's a girl, let them live. But the midwives, they worship God and obey God. They do that more than Pharaoh, and so they disobey the king. And we find, and we finished chapter 1 in verse 22 last week with the words, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, 
every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but, ev but let every girl live. It's the first time, but it's not the last time that a group of people see themselves as so superior that they're going to eliminate the Jewish people. And now we go to this fertile valley called Goshen in Egypt in the home of a young family. In chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. The man's name is Amram. We find this later in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. The man of the tribe of Levi, Amram, married a Levite woman, Jochebed, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. This is one of the most heartbreaking scenes of all the Bible. For three months, they tried to hide the baby. For three months, they did what every parent innately knows to do to protect the child. But the cries are getting louder as the healthy lungs develop. The neighbors and now the whole neighborhood suspects what's going on. Even the Egyptian law enforcement are on patrol and they walk their beat down the path and the cries of a bouncing baby boy are being muffled. How do you tell a three-month-old? How, how do you tell a three-month-old not to cry? But now it comes to a point that if the authorities find a baby boy, it's the family's lives at stake. We have to let him go. So with, I can imagine, bloodshot eyes and tear-stained cheeks, mom tightly weaves a basket and covers it with this water-repellent pitch and tar. The irony here is the word for basket that we read here is, is the same word used as the word ark in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14, on the account, in the account of Noah. So Jochebed made the best floating vessel she could and wrapped that baby up and put the baby in the basket. And you could just imagine her just holding that basket rocking back and forth and singing maybe his favorite lullaby. And Amram puts his hands on her shoulders and says, Honey, it's time. We have to let him go. Just one more day. Just, just, just one more day. Babe, you've said that every day for the last three months. We have to let him go. And with at least two other kids at home, Aaron and Miriam, 
babe, we're putting the family in jeopardy. We have to let them go. And so with a long, deep breath, to summon all her courage. I love that mom takes that basket to the river and gently launches it into the shoreline where there are cattails and reeds. This is not the same as in the DreamWorks movie of the same where the mom gets that baby and puts it in a boat and puts it out in the Nile River, and the baby's going down the current and the rapids, and sharks are trying to bite at it. And, you know, it's, it's a good story, but it's not our story here. I don't think... I, I just don't think Joke Bed had all the care and intention to put that baby in a basket to throw him into the middle of a great river. And then Sister Miriam stands at a distance and watches. Now this will be important for us to keep in our minds. See, Pharaoh says, put all the baby boys in the Nile. And so Jochebed took her baby boy and put him in the Nile, right? And with the fear of God and the courage of a loving mom. You know, I... All of you moms and dads out there, I, I hear you talking. I hear you asking questions. I, I hear the conversations as you're raising your children in this world that we live in and not of the world, but in this world. It's different when we had kids. This world is. And so all the discussions and conversations about when do we give our kids a phone, right? What about screen times? I've read the studies. Oh, you have. Which study have you read? And how much time is not good? All the conversations about current culture and education, sexuality. All the talk of previewing media before it's to the kids and movies and stories and internet access and music and personalities and video games and books and it goes on and on and on and you moms and dads you must be exhausted. But ultimately, you let your children go. Not just to school or to practice, not just to their friend's house. In your minds, in your hearts, you let your children go. So mom has put the baby in a basket and she turns and walks away. And I think mom's hope is that that basket will float down the river right along the banks near the reeds to a place where people will find that baby. And her long shot prayers, and she's got long shot prayers for months, is that someone will find that baby and care and love that baby 
and not throw them back into the current of that deep river. And joke bit has got to be a wreck. You know, counselors know, psychologists know, a mom is only as happy as her saddest child. And so you can imagine how she feels. No matter who she has at home, what kids she has at home, she will always remember her baby floating in a basket among the reeds. And she just can't watch that baby in that basket be taken by that current. But that's why older sister Miriam is standing there watching out for her older brother. She's keeping an eye on him. And can you imagine, after getting that basket covered in that waterproof material, launching it among the reeds, just slowly and gently, and then Amram having his arms around his wife saying, we, we just got to walk away. We just have to walk away with quiet tears and whispered prayers. Oh God, save our baby. Oh Lord, have mercy on us. Verse 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And so she knows the orders of her father, what to do with Hebrew baby boys. And so enter older sister Miriam, right? Verse 7, then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to Jokbed, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Oh, you can't make this stuff up, right? What's funny is in chapter 2, and we just go to verse 11, it starts, one day Moses had grown up. Well, you, you read that and you think, uh, how old is he? Well, he's 40 years old in verse 11. So there's some sort of time span, Right? There, and, and scholars look at this and, and they say in verse 10, when the child grew older, and we know with the Hebrew nation, with Jewish people, a child, a baby boy or a, 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 a boy becomes a man at age 13. They have their bar mitzvah at that time. So scholars are thinking, well, was he just a little baby after he was done nursing? Or did he stay with mom and dad until he was 12? We really don't know, but there's a big jump from 10, verse 10 to verse 11. So we're going to stop here at verse, 11, uh, verse 10, 
and ask ourselves in the first 10 verses, we'll ask ourselves, what is God saying about himself here in the first 10 verses? And then let's ask, what is God saying to humanity, to, to the world here in these first 10 verses of chapter 2? And then let's end up with what is God saying to me? And this is what we'll discuss in our small groups this week. How do we let go of control is a good question for us. And how do we let go of our plans? How do we let go of our anxiety, of our, de- of our own desires? How do we let go of our hopes and dreams? How do we let go of our past? Or how do we let go of our future? Regardless of how old you are or how long you've been in a relationship with God, we all have our difficult and challenging moments of letting go and giving up and trusting in God. And so I thought we'd just take this question, how do I trust in God? Now, it seems like a very simple and a basic question, and and maybe you see this as simple and basic and beyond you. I don't. But if this is beyond you, would you teach some of us about this? How you trust in God? By the way, I, I think I could... I could preach it, I could teach how do we trust in God, but the most effective way, way to learn and to grow in trusting in God is working it out, is talking about it with your small group or a trusted friend. To talk about your story of your starts and stops with your trusting in God and your not trusting in God and your failures and your confession and your victories in your praise to God and your thanks to God in all of this. So let's tackle this. How do we trust in God? Number one, three, three points, no less than three points. There's probably a million points on how do we trust in God, but we'll tackle three of them today. First one is this. Choose to let go. Choose to let go. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 11, we read about an extraordinary woman named Hannah who prayed to God and said, if you give me a son, a barren woman, Hannah, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. And she chose to trust God before she was ever pregnant and had difficulty with barrenness. So even before she had a child, she chose to entrust this child that she didn't have, could not have, to God if he gave her a child. And she gave birth to a son, and sure enough, she entrusted his life to God. So what do you have to let go in your life? How can you trust God beforehand like Hannah? What's causing you fear and anxiety and worry and stress or or shame? Because I think it's either coming from your past or it's about your future. In the past are generally things that were done to you or done by you. So past things define you. Your brokenness, your guilt, things yet bad things that you've done and you feel guilty, or your shame where you feel like I am bad. Not just things that you did that were bad, but the shame that you carry that is all about you being bad or your perception of you being bad. 
But the scriptures speak to us about our identity so many times, all the way throughout. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, as if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come into your life. The old has gone and the new has come. There's a new identity that you have if you're in Christ. Or maybe it's the future. You have to let go. Like, where will we live? Or what about where will we work? Where will we get any money to live wherever we're going to live? Will I ever meet someone that I could love and that will love me back? Are my grades good enough? Am I good enough to make the team? Am I good enough to be a part of that group? Will I get a good job after I graduate from college? Will I even get in college? What, will the, what do I think? How do I feel? What will happen to me after what the doctor just told me? And who will take care of me when I get too old to take care of myself? These are all questions of the future. Whatever you do to trust in God, you need to choose to let go. The second is this. Not just choose to let go, you need to, number two, choose to be present in the moment. To focus and to fixate about the future robs us of meaning and joy and purpose that God wants us to grow. He wants to grow in us. How do I let go of it all and say, God, this is all yours? How do I trust him? How do I stay present with what's going on today if I'm so fixated on the future or so lamenting about the past? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, But encourage one another daily, daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So let's encourage one another daily. Let's stay in the moment. Let's do it today, right now. What is God doing now in you? What's God doing now in you with the scriptures and what's being said? Who needs prayer today? Because we need to pray for you. You need prayer today, right after the last amen? There'll be people out in the prayer garden ready to pray for you today. Who has God put in my life that I could share Jesus with today? Who can I encourage to live for Jesus today? And how can I praise and thank God for what he's doing right now in me? I, I had a a good lesson of this many years ago when my wife Janet and I were just dating. We just started dating, and right away, I knew, I knew she was the one. And, um, and I was getting all nervous and excited about that because I just knew she was the one. We can talk about how I knew later, but, but I just knew. And I was thinking, and we were talking about marriage right away. I mean, like, Right? Like within 
three months? It was three days for me, but um, <laughs> uh, we were talking about the future. Where, where do we want to live? How many kids we want to have? And, and you know, what's, your, what, what's our wedding going to be like? And, you know, all of those things. We were, I was so excited and, and thinking so much about the future. And I had a, a man in my life who was mentoring me and discipling me, and I was so excited, and I was telling him all about all these things, and, and he saw how nervous and excited and anxious I was getting about the future of being married to this woman. We were only dating a few months. And he said, you know what you need to really work on is today. Quit thinking about what your marriage is going to be like because you're forgetting today. And so I remember we, Janet and I sat down after dating for about three months and I said, I need to stop talking about the future. And so I helped me to not think about the future so much and let's not talk about marriage let's not talk about weddings let's not talk about where we will live and what work we would do and what our ministry will be like in the future let's talk about today let's enjoy what God is doing today and it changed everything it just changed everything and then about a few months later I bought a ring and then a month later I asked her and she said yes and about five or six months later, we got married. And it was glorious. It's been wonderful. But I was so anxious about the future. Number one, well, what is it today that you're having a hard time letting go of? And what's my part? I think this is an important thing. What's my part in staying faithful to God in the midst of letting go? It's one thing just to like, let it go, but now how do I stay faithful to God in letting, him, letting things go and trusting him with all these things? And number three, choose to entrust, and then if you're looking at the notes, there's just a big blank there. Choose to entrust, and you fill in the, that blank. Choose to entrust whatever that thing is in your life to God. You fill in that blank. And for some, you're going to fill that blank in with past hurts and brokenness and loss and mistakes and sin and all the stuff in the past. That's your blank. And for some, it's the future. So you're going to fill that blank with relationships or marriage or education or you're going to fill that blank with I need to choose to entrust God with my kids or my goals or my job or my investments or my plans or whatever that would be. We trust God with it and then we put it in a basket and send it into the river. Just let it go. And you need to turn around and walk away. It's an act of faith to put it in that basket and entrust God with it. And God will provide the strength and the wisdom for you to just let that go. In the beginning of our musical worship set, we sang the song, Blessed Be Your Name, by Matt Redman. And I like the song. I mean, the first verse, Blessed be your name in the land that's plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. I love that. 
And then there's another verse that says, Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, still, blessed be your name. And I don't like that so much. And then there's that, I guess you call it a bridge or whatever musical term that is. It says you give and you take away. I hate that. You give and you take away. And I sing that song so loud and I'm thinking, what am I singing? I just want to receive. I just want to be in the land of plentiful where the streams of abundance flow. I don't want to be in that desert place, in the place of wilderness. But my heart will choose to say, still, blessed be your name. Because God is the creator of heaven and earth. And he's the one that made mankind the masterpiece of his creation. He's the one that made male and female in his image. It's true, we all fall short of God's glorious ideal. And we sin by choosing to walk our own way rather than God's way. But God has provided a way to be reconciled back to himself through Jesus. Jesus, born on Christmas, declared the kingdom of God. And then Jesus goes to the cross, taking all of our sin upon himself, which gives us forgiveness. And three days later, Easter, he rises from the, from the dead to make a way for those who trust in him to have freedom and be welcomed into the kingdom. In this life, we sometimes have plenty and sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness. But God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And therefore, we trust in God in the good and the hard times. Number one, we choose to let go. Number two, we choose to live in the present, in the moment. And then number three, we choose to entrust, and this is personal because you could fill in that blank, I choose to entrust whatever it is that God's knocking on your heart right now and saying, you need to give this to me. You need to put it in the basket and you need to send it down the river. Jesus said, there is one who comes to steal and kill and destroy your life. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And that blessed full life begins and ends when we trust God with everything we are and everything he's given us with our whole life. Amen?